Open your Bibles up to Genesis 40. Genesis chapter 40, if you have, if you have uh, one of our Bibles, it's, it's on page 35, starts there. We're going to look at Genesis 40 and 41 this morning. This story is literally a dream come true, okay? Multiple dreams come true, actually. And Lord willing, by the end of it, we're going to see why not just Joseph, not just Pharaoh, not just uh, a cupbearer and a baker, not just these people need uh, God's revelation, but by, why we all Every one of us need God's revelation in our lives. And so I want to pray and ask God to do exactly that through his word. And then we'll dig in. Father, your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth in the power of your spirit who guides us into all truth and glorifies the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the living word, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Have you ever had a weird dream that you could vividly recall after you woke up and you're like, what in the world was that all about, right? Joseph's story starts this way in chapter 37 when he had actually two dreams and then he told them to his family. He had the first dream and he he told his brothers about it and he, he, he he said, here we were, or there we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field and suddenly my sheaf stood up and then all of your sheaves gathered around it and, and bowed down to my sheaf. And after hearing about the dream, his brothers who, who had already hated him because he was his father's favorite, they understood what that dream meant, but they didn't like it. They said, are you really going to rule over us? Are you really going to rule over us? And then we're, we're told that they hated him even more because of the dream. And then he had another dream, and he told it to his father and his brothers, and, and he said, this time... The sun and the moon and the stars, 11 stars, in fact, all came and bowed down to me. Joseph has 11 brothers. After hearing about the dream, his father rebuked him, and he said, what kind of dream is this that you've had? Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind, and then, and, and, and then it just kind of moves on from there. But we need to keep these dreams in mind as we work through our passage this morning. You see, we all have this this desire built into us to understand or to interpret life and, 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 and look for meaning in it. But sometimes, sometimes we rely too much on the wrong things to give us the guidance that we're looking for. Some people look to worldly things like horoscopes or, or uh, psychic readings or just general spirituality or, or any one of the worldly religions and so on and so forth. But even as Christians, we can be, we can be prone to spend our time chasing after signs and, and symbols and things like news headlines and, or, or, or random events or even in the dreams that we have. We're all looking for revelation. We all want to know why Things have happened, and we all want to know what things will happen, right? So here's what we're going to see this morning. This is, our, this is our takeaway, our big point we need to keep in mind. Because God alone gives meaning to all things, we must look to him for ultimate understanding. Because God alone gives meaning to all things, we must look to him for ultimate understanding. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Genesis 40 starting in verse 1. After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. Everything that happens in chapter 40 sets the stage for the main event that we're going to see in chapter 41. But everything that that these four verses, these first four verses talk about, sets the stage for what happens in chapter 40. So these are kind of the the, the context for the whole shebang. The cupbearer and the baker were two of Pharaoh's chief officers, which put them in the same category as, as Potiphar. He was also a chief officer. But, but as the king of Egypt's chief cupbearer and chief baker, these, these two men had a tremendous responsibility 
They were in charge of Pharaoh's drink and his food, what he ate. Remember how it said uh, when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except for what he ate? Well, these men were concerned with what the Pharaoh ate and what he drank. Their main job was to keep him from being poisoned. They would have been some of his most reliable servants, some of his closest confidants, and some of his most trusted advisors. But they did something, we're told here, to offend Pharaoh. That word offend in the Hebrew, it's the same word that Joseph used back in 39 after Potiphar's wife uh, propositioned him. And he said, how could I do such an evil thing and sin against God? Same word, offend and sin. What they did against Pharaoh was a major offense, okay? It was serious. Chances are, now we're not told the specific thing, but chances are that Pharaoh ended up getting sick from one of his meals, and then in a fit of, of anger, he, he had them both arrested and thrown into jail until he could figure out which one, if not both of them, was guilty of the offense. And then lo and behold, where did they end up? In the same prison where Joseph was, and he was made their personal attendant. And now we have the background, so let's keep going. Verse 5. The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Two men, two dreams, one night, two meanings. Two men, two dreams, one night, two meanings. In the ancient Near East, dreams were often considered as divine revelation. They were so important to the Egyptians that they kept actual records of them and the interpretation so that they could regularly consult these as wisdom literature for themselves. They wanted, they used them to, to uh, uh, try to predict the future, try to explain the present, okay? They had professional dream interpreters, magicians who were these sorcerer priests in the Egyptian temples. They had wise men who prided themselves in knowledge and, and being able to discern the meaning of dreams. But the cupbearer and the baker, they had a really big problem because they were in the, 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 the prison. They had dreams, but they didn't have access to these dream interpreters where they would have if they had been remained as officers in Pharaoh's court. They no longer had access to the magicians and the wise men who could interpret them. So they, they were clearly distraught. And Joseph, who, who, who is, is keen on, on uh, the people that he cares for, right? He's their personal attendant. He immediately recognized that they were distraught because he would notice such a change in their demeanor because he cares about their welfare because he was appointed as their attendant. But Joseph had a different perspective on the dream interpretation than the Egyptians had, right? They thought that interpretations belonged to men, but in verse 8, Joseph said interpretations belong to who? To God. I like the way one commentator put it. He said, only God's revelation can explain a dream's meaning. Only God's revelation can explain a dream's meaning. The cupbearer and the baker, they didn't have access to their dream interpreters, but Joseph had access to his. Because as we're told in chapter 39, God was with Joseph in prison, and he made everything that he did successful. So trusting that God would help him with the interpretation, Joseph said to the two officers, hey, let's hear it. Tell me your dreams. Look at verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, in my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh 
and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head. On the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is its interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. Both dreams were reflective of the positions that each man held before he was thrown into, into prison. Joseph told the cupbearer, hey, your dream is a good one, right? And that meant that in, it meant that in three days, Pharaoh would lift up the cupbearer's head in encouragement and restore him to his position. So the baker is like, oh, sweet. It's good for him. My dream sounds pretty close, right? And so he said, he told J, uh, uh, Joseph his own dream, hoping for a similar interpretation. Joseph said, hey, in three days, the Pharaoh will also lift up your head from off of your body because he's going to kill you. He will execute you, and you will become vulture food. Two similar dreams with two similar interpretations, but one major difference. One dream pointed to forgiveness and life. The other dream pointed to judgment and death. Remember that. Chapter 39 told us that God had extended kindness to Joseph in prison, and he extended more kindness to him here by giving him the ability to faithfully interpret each man's dream. And after he interpreted the cupbearer's dream, Joseph asked then the cupbearer to extend kindness to him once the dream came true. In verse 14, he told the cupbearer, hey, remember me, remember me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. Now, Joseph was not manipulating the situation for his own selfish advantage. There's no deceit here like, like we've seen in a lot of the rest of his family. He was asking for justice to be done, right? We, we've seen this in his life. Joseph's in prison for something he never did. In verse 15, he said, I was kidnapped, literally in the Hebrew. I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. I was taken from my homeland, Joseph said, wrongfully. And he was brought to Egypt, and then he had been wrongfully imprisoned after he got there. The Hebrew word for dungeon in verse 15 is also translated as pit or cistern, right? We've seen this picture. His, his brothers betrayed him, and they threw him in a pit. Then, he, then uh, the, his, Potiphar's wife made a pass at him, and she blamed him, and Potiphar got angry, and he threw him in a pit, in a, in a prison. Joseph is using this, or, or we're, we're seeing this as a play on words here. It's, it's meant to give us this image. Joseph has been thrown down. He's been pushed down. What were, what were his dreams? That he would rise up right? Joseph wanted a chance to plead his case before the king of Egypt, before Pharaoh himself, and the cupbearer was his best shot at getting that chance. Look at uh, verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. It just so happened that three days after the men had dreams, there was a big party. Now, it's possible that this was actually Pharaoh's birthday, but it's probably more likely that it was the anniversary of his ascension to the throne, something that was worth celebrating in all of Egypt, and, and in that, uh, the, the, uh, the, this feast, he had this feast for his servants. In, in, during this feast, the Pharaoh would be, uh, in his delight, he would be more apt to, to give uh, pardons. And it was at this feast that Pharaoh did exactly what Joseph had predicted. He elevated the, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants, literally in the Hebrew, lifted their heads, exactly what Joseph said, Right? And he pardoned the cupbearer and he punished 
the baker. One was forgiven and restored. The other was judged and put to death, just as, as Joseph had explained to them. But then this part of the story concludes with some bad news for Joseph. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. We're told twice the same thing because he wants to emphasize the crushing disappointment. Joseph's own dreams had yet to come true. In fact, it was quite the opposite that had happened to him. One day as he was going to meet up with his brothers, they said, here comes that dream expert. Remember that in chapter 39? And then they threw him into a pit to kill him, but they decided to sell him into slavery instead. Then the slave uh, traders brought him to Egypt, and they sold him to Potiphar. Things started looking up when Potiphar gave him authority over all of his household, and, and uh, uh, in, in all things, and, and in all, over all people. But then that was short-lived because Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of attacking her, and Potiphar then threw him in the prison. And then just when things started looking up for Joseph again, after his interpretations of the cupbearer's and the baker's dreams came true. The cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. How do you forget? I mean, it was three days ago, right? I mean, sometimes I, you ever done this? Like I, I pull my phone out to do something and by the time I get it from my pocket to my face, I forgot what, it was, what I was doing. So, I mean, I think I, we can sympathize a little bit, but, but that's a pretty significant thing, right? I mean, three days ago, he told you what was going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. Don't you think that would trigger something? The cupbearer forgot about Joseph, but God remembered Joseph. God remembered Joseph. Why? Because God was with Joseph, and he allowed the cupbearer to forget Joseph because God was patiently working his plan according to his timeline, and it wasn't time yet for Joseph and Pharaoh to meet according to God's plan. But that time would come, and now we're into chapter 41. Look at verse 1. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, and he dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump, full ones, then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. One man, one night, two dreams. The main focus on, in these verses are these two dreams that Pharaoh had. But let's not miss those very important words at the very beginning in verse 1. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. At the end of two years, two years, after he interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, Joseph was hopeful that his wrongful imprisonment would end in three days. But the cupbearer forgot about him, and he remained in prison for two more years. Think about that. That is two years of multiple meals a day where the chief cupbearer would take the cup, hand it to Pharaoh, and have every opportunity that he had to remember Joseph and say, oh yeah, you know what happened? There was this guy in prison and he told me about the dream that I had. He, he explained it to me. And he said, I'd, I'd give you the cup back and you'd restore me to this position. Two years of multiple meals a day where, where he had the chance to do that, never did it once. Two more festivals that Pharaoh would have held in honor of his, uh, of his birthday or of his, his ascension to the throne where he would be apt to pardon prisoners. Two more festivals where he pardoned other criminals, but not Joseph. Why? Because the cupbearer had forgotten him. How do we reconcile that with Genesis 39, 21 that told us that God was with Joseph and showed kindness to him in prison? 
two years. The answer to that question comes when we see the significance of what happened after these two years. What happened? Pharaoh had two dreams. Just like his chief cupbearer and his chief baker had some dreams. God did not forget Joseph in prison. God did not abandon Joseph in prison. God's kindness toward Joseph actually included a two-year wait. Why? Because God was preparing Joseph for a greater purpose, one that far exceeded Joseph's hope of getting out of prison. One commentator put it this way. He said, all men that God uses greatly, he first prepares greatly. Few are willing to endure the greatness of God's preparation. And then he said this, God was both in the steps and the stops of Joseph's life. Do you see God in both the steps and the stops of your life? When you find yourself waiting longer and suffering more than you want to, do you see that as God's kindness to prepare you for something that far exceeds your hope of getting merely out of that situation? Do you see his greater purpose to free you from dependence upon unreliable things and grow your confidence in his sovereign care? Are you convinced that he works all of your steps and all of your stops for your good and his glory in order to conform you more and more into the likeness of his son Jesus. You see, in his kindness, God allowed that dream expert, Joseph, to wait in prison for those two years because in his sovereign wisdom, in his providential timing, God gave Pharaoh a couple of dreams at the end of those two years and he was gonna need help with what they meant. In Egypt, when Pharaoh had a dream, it was considered especially significant because Pharaoh was viewed as divinely chosen, as a representative of the gods. In fact, he was often uh, viewed as divine himself, as a god himself. It's funny that a god needs help in interpreting his own dreams, right? Having a dream more than once was also considered especially significant. Having the same dream on consecutive nights was also considered even more significant. Pharaoh had two almost identical dreams on the same night, which made the need to interpret them incredibly urgent for the Egyptians. One man, two dreams, one night. And that man was the king of Egypt. Look at verse 8, chapter 41. When morning came, he was troubled. And so he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today, today, hey, I remember my faults. Actually, the, the Hebrew is my evil doing. I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in the chief and the chief baker in, in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. And now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. He told, uh, we told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Unlike the cupbearer and the baker, Pharaoh had access to literally every, every dream interpreter that he wanted in the land. Nobody was off limits to him. He's the king of Egypt, right? But he had an even bigger problem than his chief officers. In all of those, those wise men and all of those magicians that he had available to him, not one who claimed to be an interpreter could interpret his dreams. Not one. He had access, but he still had no answers. When the cupbearer realized this, suddenly his memory was jogged, right? He goes, oh, wait a minute. There's still one man in Egypt who has the ability to interpret dreams. And I know this because he did it for me. In God's wise and perfect timing, 
the cupbearer remembered that dream expert when Pharaoh needed him most. This is why Joseph waited two years in prison. Now, at this point in the narrative, listen, we know what Pharaoh's dreams were, but, but we don't even know what they meant yet, right? Unless you've read ahead, which is God revealing it to us in his word, all we have is the picture. We're in the same spot. We, we have no idea unless we keep going, right? All we know is that in the first dream, seven healthy cows were eaten by seven sickly cows. And in the second dream, seven plump and good heads of grain were swallowed up by seven thin and scorched heads of grain. The pictures in the dreams are simple. We can imagine those in our mind, but no one, including us, can interpret the meaning of those dreams unless God himself reveals the meaning. As Joseph said back in verse 8 of chapter 40, don't all interpretations belong to God? God had revealed the meaning of the cupbearer's and the baker's dreams to Joseph, and the cupbearer knew that if anyone was going to be able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, it was Joseph. And so the cupbearer essentially told Pharaoh, look, the baker and I had dreams, Joseph told us what they meant, and he was right. He's your guy. He's your guy. Look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon, from the pit. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I'm not able to, Joseph answered. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph was a Hebrew and a slave, not an Egyptian. And so in order to make him presentable to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh himself, they had to change his physical appearance first. Now, unlike a majority of the nations that surrounded Egypt, Egyptians were clean-shaven. And so the beard needed to go. After that, they gave him some Egyptian clothes and they, to put on, and then they, they sent him off to Pharaoh. They put new garments on him. This is maybe the first time that Joseph's garments actually lead to something good for him, Right? And yet, while Joseph may have looked like an, an Egyptian, he did not act like one, and that's important for us to understand. The magicians and the wise men prided themselves on their ability to interpret dreams, but Joseph was once again quick to point to God alone as the interpreter of dreams. When Pharaoh told Joseph in verse 15, listen, I, I've heard that you're the guy, Joseph replied quickly in verse 16, I'm not the guy. In the Hebrew, it literally says with an exclamation point, not me. Not me. Joseph made it clear to Pharaoh that the God who gave Pharaoh those dreams would also give him their meaning. Look at verse 17. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows came up from the Nile and grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, weak, very sickly and thin, came up. I have never seen such sickly ones as these in all the land of Egypt. Then the thin, sickly cows ate the first uh, seven well-fed cows. When they had devoured them, you could not tell that they had devoured them. Their appearance was as bad. The Hebrew there is evil. Their appearance was as bad as it had been before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, coming up on, the st on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven good ones. I told this to the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. Nobody. So Pharaoh recounted his dreams for Joseph. We already know them. We heard him talk about them once. The, the, uh, Moses, the, who's narrating the story, told us what the dreams were. And this time, uh, uh, Pharaoh added a little bit of his own commentary, right? After he described the sickly cow's in verse 19, he said, I've never seen such sickly ones in all the land. Like, these are the worst of the worst. And then in 21, he said, even after they ate the well-fed cows, he, he said it didn't look like they'd eaten anything at all. Their, their appearance was as, was as bad, as, as evil as it was before, as sickly as it was before, no change. And now we know why Pharaoh was troubled when he woke up. These cows bothered him. And even as he had those in his mind, then comes this other dream. 
where the same thing happens only with heads of grain. But Joseph wasn't troubled by the dreams. God immediately made clear to Joseph what they were about. You notice in, in, in both of these chapters, Joseph doesn't go, hey, I need, to, I need to go sleep on that. I'll be back with an answer tomorrow. I mean immediately after the dream is told. He says, here's what it means. Here's what it means. Look at verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after them are, are seven years, and the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten." The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God, and he will carry it out soon. Whereas the cupbearers and the bakers' dreams each had their own meanings, Pharaoh's dreams both had the same meaning. Right, The seven good cows, the seven good heads of grain, both pointed to seven years of abundant food supply. And the seven sickly cows and the seven worthless heads of grain both pointed to seven years of famine. And since the bad stuff came after the good stuff in the dreams, uh, 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 Joseph says that the bad stuff is going to ha- come after the good stuff in reality. This is, this is what's happening. The severity of the seven years of famine compared to the seven years of abundance is emphasized by the statements that Joseph made in verses 29 through 31. One time he mentions the abundant food supply. Five times he makes a statement about the famine and how bad it is. In fact, he uses the same words that Moses used to talk about the cupbearer forgetting Joseph. In the cupbearer's abundance, he had forgotten Joseph, but soon in all, all of Egypt would forget their abundance on account of the famine. It would be forgotten, just like Joseph was. Joseph made three other important statements in this exchange with Pharaoh. Verse 25, he told Pharaoh, God has revealed to you what he's about to do. And then he repeated that statement again in verse 28. And then in verse 32, at the beginning, the middle, and the end of this section, Joseph makes it clear, since God gave you the dream twice, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. God has revealed to you what he's about to do. He's decided it, and he will do it. Now, that statement wasn't just important for Pharaoh. It was also important for Joseph. Why? Because Joseph, God gave Joseph two dreams in one night. Maybe not in one night. I guess it doesn't say that. But two dreams that mean the same thing. Back in chapter 37, God immediately made clear to Joseph's family they were going to bow down to Joseph and he was going to rule over them. And since the dream was given twice to Joseph, it means that the matter had been determined by God and he would carry it out soon. And as we're about to see, God's soon for Joseph and his soon for Pharaoh, here they come on a a, a collision course with each other. Look at verse 33. So now... Let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming under Pharaoh's authority. Store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the the country will not be wiped out by the famine. Let's keep going. Verse 37. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. 
Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh, has, uh, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I'm placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand. He put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and servants called out before him, Make way! So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath paneah and gave him a wife, Azaneth, daughter of, Potiph- of Potipharah, priest at On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph essentially told Pharaoh, look, you can't prevent what God is going to do, but you can Prepare for it. So here's what you need to do. You should find a discerning and a wise man to oversee the entire food supply of Egypt and have him then appoint people to gather and store a fifth of the harvest while it's abundant and and put it in storehouses in all the cities so that it's available all throughout the land and the surrounding areas can come. The people in the the, uh, rural areas will be able to come and get food. That way, when, when the famine comes, all of Egypt will be able to survive what, what's been, off of what's been stored up. Joseph not only interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, but suddenly, now he became Pharaoh's most trusted advisor. It's important to note again that Joseph wasn't trying to manipulate the situation for his own personal gain. He was trusting and obeying God. God hadn't just shown Pharaoh what what he was about to do. He also showed Joseph by allowing him to interpret the dreams. And Joseph, who had already faithfully served Potiphar, and then the prison warden, and then the cupbearer, and the baker, understood his responsibility to faithfully serve Pharaoh when he was put into that position because he had a desire to faithfully serve God. And just like all those others he served recognized that God was with Joseph, Pharaoh himself said, listen, can we find anybody like this? A man who has God's spirit in him? Now that doesn't mean that Pharaoh suddenly stopped worshiping all of Egypt's gods or stopped thinking that he himself was was divinity, but it does mean that he recognized Joseph's special relationship with Joseph's God, and he'd be a fool not to listen to what Joseph said. And he knew that no man in Egypt could match the wisdom and discernment that God had given to Joseph. Why? Because none of them could do what Joseph did. And so Pharaoh told Joseph, hey, I like your plan, and I want you to do it. You're the guy. The job is yours. And just like that, the dream expert who was betrayed by his brothers and forgotten in prison, was lifted up out of the pit and given authority over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Do you see his dreams starting to come true? Everything that Pharaoh had given to him, including an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife, was to establish and affirm Joseph's credibility among the Egyptian people. His wife came from a prominent family from one of the most revered cities in Egypt. This Hebrew man who had been brought to Egypt as a slave now found himself as the right-hand man to Pharaoh, second most powerful man in all of the land. Look at verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land of Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced outstanding harvests. Joseph gathered all the excess food in the land of Egypt during the seven years and put it in the cities. He put the food in every city from the fields around it. So Joseph stored up grain in such abundance, like the sand of the sea, that he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. Azaneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest at On, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph had been in Egypt for 12 to 13 years by this point. That's almost half his life that he has spent as a slave and a prisoner. But now, 
he was living the Egyptian dream. Literally, right? He'd gone from rags to riches, but even though Pharaoh lifted Joseph up to a position of authority and integrated him into the Egyptian culture, Joseph never compromised his relationship with God. When his Egyptian wife bore him sons, Joseph was quick to praise God for it. Manasseh, uh, his name sounds like the Hebrew word that means uh, to forget. And Ephraim's name means twice fruitful. Joseph wasn't saying that God had made him forget his hardship and his family in the way that the cupbearer had forgotten about him, like just put him out of his mind. Instead, with the birth of his sons, Joseph stopped dwelling on these things, on the pain and the hurt his whole family had caused him. In the naming of his sons, Joseph was acknowledging that God had not only given him peace about his sufferings, but also that God had blessed him in the midst of them. It's no coincidence that Joseph's sons were born to him during the seven years of abundance before the famine arrived. It's also no coincidence that as the narrator of this story, Moses, said in verse 49, when he, when he said about the abundance of grain, he said it was like the sand of the sea. Does that sound familiar? That phrase would trigger his Israelite audience to remember God's covenant promise to Abraham and then again to Jacob to make their offspring like what? The sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. Joseph stopped measuring the grain. Why? Because it was too numerous to be counted. What's the very next thing that Moses mentioned after the abundance of grain? Joseph's offspring. God is being faithful as a covenant God, to keep his covenant promises to his covenant people. Moses wanted the Israelites to see that God wasn't just blessing Joseph in the midst of his suffering, although that would have been amazing. God was carrying out his plan and remaining faithful to his people, whether they faced feast or famine. And it was actually in the famine that God's bigger plan would be revealed. Look at these last few verses, 53. Then the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in every land, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When the whole land of Egypt was stricken with famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told all Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Now the famine had spread across the whole region, so Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, for the famine was severe in every land. The famine started in the surrounding regions and started pressing in on Egypt, working its way into the land of Egypt itself. And then when it had finally hit Egypt, there wasn't anyone anywhere who wasn't in need of food. These verses are dominated again by the descriptions of the famine's severity and its scope, just as Joseph had said a few verses earlier in 29 through 31 when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. The matter had, in fact, been decided by God, been determined by God, and God was, in fact, carrying it out. When the Egyptians called on Pharaoh to help them, he said, go to Joseph. That dude knows what he's doing right? Go do whatever he says. So Joseph opened up the storehouses and he sold the surplus grain to the Egyptians. Not only had his preparations brought relief to the people in need of food, but he also made Pharaoh even more successful with the income that he gathered from the grain sales. Again, God is keeping his promise of blessing those who bless his people. But God was also setting up the next part of his plan. Did you catch what verse 57 said? That last verse? When the surrounding regions heard that there was grain in Egypt, they also came to buy from Joseph. Do you know what what one of the surrounding regions is? The land of Canaan. The land that we've been focused on all throughout Genesis. It's where Joseph's father and his brothers lived. It's it's his homeland. It's it's where he was stolen from. It was also devastated by the famine. 
It put his own family in need of food that could only be found in Egypt, where Joseph had been given all authority over all the people and all the things. Do you see what God is doing? God was setting up a reunion between that dream expert and the ones who threw him into the pit. You see, each of the dreams in this story ultimately found their meaning in the bigger picture of what God was doing. They served a a greater purpose, and he revealed the interpretations of these dreams to to Joseph. And as he did that and, and revealed that then to the other people, God revealed more of his plan with each dream. And what we need to understand is that from Joseph's day to our day, God has revealed a whole lot more of that plan, a whole lot more of that plan, and he's, he's kept a record of it for us. We call it God's revelatory word, the Bible. This is why we come and, and every week and we say, we don't come to hear the preacher, we come to hear the word, because this is God's revelation to us. This is God's interpretation of everything that we see and hear and experience. This is what God has given to us to have explanations that we're looking for. It's full of dreams and prophecies and poetry and parables and history and narratives and apocalyptic imagery and letters and wisdom sayings and laws and maybe the greatest of all, the gospel accounts that ultimately reveal one thing, God's gracious plan to redeem sinners through his son, Jesus Christ. All of Scripture points to Jesus and says, that's the guy. That's the guy. All of Scripture helps us understand the true story about the eternally holy God who created the universe and everything in it, including mankind. And he made mankind his closest and most trusted creation because he created them, male and female, in his image. And he placed them in authority over all that he made so that they would display his holy character and the way they ruled and cared for all of his creation as they became personal attendants to all things that he made. But they offended their master They sinned greatly against him, the king of creation. Instead of trusting his word as truth, they interpreted themselves by themselves. They interpreted it as a lie. And they sinned against him in rebellion. And as a result, they were confined to the prison of toil and pain and hardship and death. But God made a promise in the midst of that. That one day he would send a rescuer, the one who would lift his people out of prison, lift up their heads and restore them to life through the forgiveness of their sins. Who's that rescuer? Who's the guy? It's Jesus Christ who was lifted up on a cross and executed by sinful men according to God's gracious plan because his death paid the ransom debt of sin and removed God's righteous wrath from sinners. And on the third day, he was lifted up out of the grave when he rose from the dead and restored eternal life to all who trust in him. That would be amazing if it ended right there, but it doesn't. The story keeps going because God has revealed in his word that a day is coming that has not yet come. When the king will return and he will lift the heads of all people. He will lift all people up, either to restoration and life or to eternal judgment and death. And those who are lifted up to restoration and life are those who have remembered Christ through faith in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Those who are lifted up to judgment and death are those who have forgotten him and turned away to rely on themselves and their own understanding their own interpretations. Maybe you've been trying to make sense out of life and you've looked everywhere for answers except for God himself. If that's you, my prayer is that today that you would see that God has not left you in the dark. Everything in your life has meaning and purpose. And that meaning and purpose is meant to drive you directly to Jesus Christ so that you find your meaning and your purpose in him and him alone. He's not a dream that's too good to be true. He is the ultimate reality.
If you find yourself like the cupbearer and the baker, like the pharaoh, troubled by what you see, distraught because you have yet to find somebody that can help you understand, then look to Jesus Christ. He's the guy. He's the guy. Look to him as he's revealed to us in God's faithful and true word. Turn away from your sins. Trust wholeheartedly in him, and you'll find what you're looking for, peace and understanding, rest, joy, hope. Maybe you're a believer and you don't put too much stock in the dreams. Maybe you know that the, the things of the world, that the, 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 the things that the world looks to, are, are, they all fall well short of reliability when it comes to interpreting life. But can I ask, and, and this was a question that, that I was convicted by in my own heart, and one I don't ask just to you, but one I need to answer for myself. How much do you lean on the revelation that God has already given to you through his word? Are you storing it up in the spiritual storehouse of your heart while it's abundantly available to you? Preparing for the day, if, it, if or when it comes, when there's spiritual famine and you can't just pick it up? You know, there are people all across the world who live in that right now. Are you opening the storehouses of Scripture not for a fee, but freely to your family and your friends, to your coworkers, to your classmates who are in desperate need of its nourishment? We live in a spiritually malnourished world. And it's made its way into the church. There's nobody anywhere that's not affected by it. And yet we have been given rich, sustaining, life-giving food. Are you interpreting everything that you see in, and everything that you experience in light of Scripture's revelation of Jesus Christ? You know what's amazing about the day that we live in? We don't have to chase after signs and symbols because we already have the substance. Because, because God alone gives meaning to all things, we must look to him for ultimate understanding. He's given us all the revelation that we need through his word, and his word reveals his son, that reality expert. Jesus Christ. He is the source and the interpreter of life. So let's look to the one to whom interpretations belong. Why? Because by God's grace, through his son, we belong to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace, gracious gift to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all that we need to know right here in your word. And you have put your spirit in us who knows the mind of God because he is God who can help us understand what it means and live according to it for your glory. Thank you for providing all that we need in great abundance. May we look to you in all things. In Jesus' name.